invite you to open up to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. We're starting this new series today about finding hope in the darkness. And by that, this month we'll be talking about inner darkness. Um, We need emotional, we need mental health. We need that because without being emotionally healthy or mentally healthy, I am convinced that it is next to impossible to be spiritually healthy. And so um, I'm hoping this month will will be very beneficial. I mean, I'm hoping every worship service is beneficial to us as we worship God and receive from God, but but, but this month in particular, as we talk about some things that may be um, not the normal thing that you talk about on a Sunday morning. And John chapter 9 tells us the story of this, this blind man. And uh, Jesus' disciples are just trying to make sense of what we try to make sense of, and that is suffering in the world. How can there be a loving God, a powerful God, and suffering in the world? So they're re- wrestling with the, the same question that people often wrestle with today. And they see this man who was blind since he was born. Well, how, how can that be? We've got this loving, powerful God. How can this man be born blind, years and years and years of blindness? And so they figure what a lot of people figure today. Well, he must have done something wrong. Or his parents must have done something wrong. And there is a stigma about mental health, about emotional health. Um, And often that stigma keeps us from talking about emotional and mental issues. You know, we don't don't want to talk about depression um, because often when, when we think of depression, we think, well, something must be really wrong. Or we don't want to talk about anxiety, having an anxiety, because we're taught, oh, you should just have more faith. And if you have more faith, you won't be anxious. And so when we think about things like depression, anxiety, mental, emotional health, um, sometimes we can be made to feel shame. And today, that's what I want to talk about, is our fight against shame. And I hope this month we'll get rid of unhealthy shame, at least a little bit, in our lives. If you are struggling emotionally, if you're struggling mentally, 
I hope that you will find no shame in in that. Um, Because here's the thought. Just like this man who was born blind, could it be that the root of um, whatever you are going through uh, emotionally or mentally, struggle that you're facing, um, could it be not that you have done something wrong or that someone else has done something wrong? Not because you messed up. But could it be so that God will be glorified through your struggle and through your victory? Just like Anita said earlier, your victory that God is going to be giving you through this. And while there are unhealthy effects to shame, um, there's also this healthy use of shame. In other words, shame isn't necessarily something just to cast off blindly uh, without thinking about it and saying, you know, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to say whatever I want to say, and I'm never going to feel shame again. Maybe hold off on that thought. Um, Because there is a healthy use of shame, which actually can guide us to God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So shame is something to listen to. What is it saying to us? So as we start our look at shame today, um, why don't we open up with a prayer? Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that you are the Lord of our life. Not just our physical bodies, not just our spiritual bodies, but also our mind and our heart. We are one integrated being, body, mind, heart, spirit, and you love all of us. And you want us to experience your your life and your health in every part of our being. So we ask for your blessings as we look at your scriptures and what they say about shame and our walk with you. So give us... The, uh, the power of your Holy Spirit to hear and see what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to look at what is shame, um, the cause of shame, the effects of shame, and then how to get free from shame. And I understand that, you know, in the next 20 minutes, we can only say so much. There's so much other stuff that um, is not going to be said. And uh, one of the, the resources we have during this month is uh, an adult class, 9 a.m., um, that's kind of going along uh, with similar issues that we're going um, through in the sermon series. And if you want to talk about things on a deeper level, or to not just a deeper level, but to um, discuss this more fully, then please, please, please encourage you to attend um, that, that class um, Pierre Mata is leading that class. He's a, a family therapist. He knows a lot about um, this stuff. In fact, um, I, I gave him like a big red card. Whenever I say something wrong in the sermon, he's going to hold it up, and that's my, uh, that's my sign to um, be quiet and ask for forgiveness. Okay, here we go. Uh, what is shame? Uh, we've all felt shame. We generally know what shame is like. It's demoralizing. It's something you can feel when you're embarrassed, um, something that you can feel when you're deeply regretful for something you've done. I bet you've had an experience of that where you've regretted an action. You're like, oh, I just feel so bad. And you think about it, you think about it, you think about it. Um, 
Dan Allender is a uh, really gifted Christian psychologist and author, and he wrote a book called The Cry of the Soul. And that is the resource that I'm going to be using throughout this month and uh, for a lot of the content today. And here's what Dan Allender writes in his book. He says that shame is the traumatic exposure of nakedness. So you have to remember back to Adam and Eve to make sense of that uh, definition of shame. Um, Adam and Eve, the first time they were ashamed was when they recognized that they were naked after they had sinned. And so today, you know, we're, hopefully you're not uh, caught naked literally too often. Um, so this is a metaphor for us, nakedness, for being exposed. Either you, you commit something harmful, you say something harmful to someone, you verbally attack someone, and later you just feel really ashamed about what you said, how you handled that, or you do something embarrassing, or you have something embarrassing done to you by someone else, and you feel shame. Or maybe you could have some flawed appearance, or think you have some flawed appearance. You know, many people struggle with, with how they look, and they just they, they have this, this mental idea of how it should be, and how they're not that, and they feel ashamed about it. There is something we feel that is substandard in us when, when we get exposed. And, Dan Allender writes, it's a traumatic exposure. There's trauma to it. In seminary, uh, we had to pass a series of ordination exams in order to be ordained. So a series of four exams. Um, and you back in the day, I don't know how it's done today, but back in the day you'd fill out the exams you mail them off, and then like six weeks later, you, you hear back on how you did. And um, it, you know, every once in a while, a student would pass off for exams the first time uh, that it was taken, but, or they were taken. But usually, the, the, the common thing was you had to redo one or a couple of them, and you couldn't be ordained until you passed the exams. Um, and there was one, one student, uh, I remember, she kept... Um, three times she kept failing the same exam, and she just felt ashamed um, for it. And it, it wasn't like, hey, I, you know, I, I, I failed again, you know, go figure. That's, that wasn't her reaction. It was just this deep sense of shame and struggle, um, questioning her, her calling as a pastor. It's, it's traumatic. Shame is traumatic. And there are two ways you can get shamed. Either you shame yourself when you compare what you think you ought to be with how you see yourself and you feel some sense of shame because you see this big gap. And, and this man, the man born blind, had opportunities to do this, to believe he was worthless because of his blindness. I'm just useless as a person. That's how I should be. Here I am, I'm blind since birth. What good am I? And you feel shame because of this gap. Or you get shamed by others. When other people let you know, hey, there's a big gap between where you should be and where you are now, and you can be shamed by others. So we see that shame begins with blame. Now to blame yourself or someone blames you. Um, but there's something else that is needed in order for shame to really get its grip on us and have this powerful effect. Because think about this. Why does a person... Who, go, who goes through an, an embarrassing situation, feel shame. Like, why is shame uh, connected with an embarrassing situation? 
instead of just saying, ha, look at that funny thing that happened to me, you know? Ha, ha, you know? Um, Instead, there's this reaction of shame. Why is that? Or why would a man who loses his job um, hide that fact from his wife, you know, until much later in the day or the next day or the next day after that and finally come out clean, you know, I lost my job. Why not just, hey, I lost my job today. Why, why is there shame in that? Um, why would someone who struggles with an addiction, who wants freedom, hide that instead of being forthright and saying to friends, you know, I need, I need help here. It has to do what, with what ultimately causes shame. And here's the cause of shame. The cause of shame is idolatry. I want to put two verses up on the screen. Look at these verses. Uh, Psalm 97, verse 7. All who worship images are put to shame. Isaiah 42, verse 17. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, You are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. So we read these verses and we recognize that the Bible actually says a little bit more about shame than our culture does. Culture, Our culture says that that shame is feeling bad about yourself because of either your own actions or the actions of others towards you. And the Bible says a little bit more than that. The Bible says shame is when I feel, shame is what I feel when I make something into an idol and then my idol topples over, when my idol fails me. Um, let me see if I can explain that a little bit. When I trust something or someone for my sense of value or worth or security, and that thing that I'm trusting in or that person that I'm trusting in lets me down. Because when they let me down, what do I do? I feel foolish for putting my trust in what was my idol. I feel foolish for my misplaced trust, and I feel shame. And I can make myself into an idol and say, make some vows about myself. I can say, I will not be a person who struggles. I will not be someone who fails. I can make these these vows about myself. I will not be someone who has a weight issue. I will not be someone who gets beat by an opponent. Or I will not be someone who ever has a marital crisis, a marriage crisis. Or I will not be someone who ever gets depressed. And we can make these vows about ourselves. And we try to protect that idol of a perfect self. But sooner or later, that idol is going to topple over. And I will feel shame. And shame has its effects. I want to talk about a couple of effects of shame. Here's the deal. Our idols cannot bear the weight that we place on them. We try to, boy, we want it to work. We want to be able to have this perfect self idol and live up to it and put all this weight on this idol of a perfect self. It cannot, we cannot bear the weight that we put on ourselves. And when that idol of the perfect self topples, um, when these vows that I might make of myself, they get broken. 
Sometimes through no fault of our own, and sometimes through our own fault, we feel threatened. And when we come across threats in life, we are taught that there are two basic responses to threats. One of them is, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight? Or what's the other response to a threat? Flight. Fight or flight? So I want to talk about the fight or the flight of shame, these two responses. I'm either going to attack others when I feel threatened, or I'm going to run away from others when I feel shame coming on. Uh, So the fight response to shame is contempt. And I like to think of contempt as mean-spirited correction of someone else. We have to correct ourselves a lot. We have to correct others, um, certainly depending on our role. If you're a parent, there's a lot of correction. If you're an employer or a supervisor, there's a correction, a teacher correction. But hey, in our friendships too, we really do need to correct one another. And sometimes it's not through, hey man, you really messed up. Sometimes. Sometimes it's just through good modeling of right action. Um, So we have to contempt uh, to correct one another, but contempt is like mean-spirited correction. Contempt is what you feel for someone when you feel better than they are. Contempt communicates, I am always right, you're always wrong, so listen to me. 2 Samuel 6 tells a story of when the Ark of the Covenant is brought into Jerusalem, and it's a big deal. Um, The Israelites had been without the Ark of the Covenant, the sign of God's um, power and presence. They'd been largely as a people without the Ark of the Covenant for like 20 years. And it's rolling into Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant. And there's a huge celebration. And King David is there. And the Bible says that he is celebrating and dancing with all of his might. So the king is just leading the way. And boy, don't you wish you could see David out there going crazy as the the Ark of the Covenant gets brought into Jerusalem. His wife, Michael, is terrified at what she sees in King David. She is ashamed. She insults him with contempt. Here's what uh, she says to King David, 2 Samuel 6, verse 20. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Now, a couple of things. One, he wasn't naked. He wasn't really even half naked. He was wearing an ephod, this kind of loose-fitting garment, but he wasn't naked out there dancing. He wasn't half naked. And she just tore into David with contempt. Why? Because she had made an idol. That is the source of shame. She had made an idol out of the prestige of being married to the king. And when she saw the king acting foolish, that idol toppled. And she felt shame out of her need to feel important. She lashed out in contempt. Or sometimes we'll lash out at someone else in contempt because the idol is our very selves. And this is what we see with the Pharisees and the man that was born blind because what happens is the man that Jesus heals, he's taken to the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders. 
Now, the critical detail, we're going to read a little bit more of the story. The critical detail to know is um, Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And healing on the Sabbath was prohibited by Jewish law, at least as the Pharisees understood it. And so the man who was healed and the Pharisees, they have an argument over who Jesus is. And I want to start reading in verse 24. And this is the conversation that this man and the Pharisees have. A second time, the Pharisees summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner, and they're talking about Jesus. He replied, well, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? A little jab by this blind man. And then they hurled insults at him, and they said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. You're wrong. We're right. But as for this fellow... We don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. And we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this, the Pharisees replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Because the Pharisees had an idol. They were their own idol. At least their obedience to the law was their idol. It puffed them up. Only in order for them to truly puff themselves up, in order to truly prop themselves up by their obedience, they had to find someone who was less obedient in their eyes and then pick them apart. That never happens today, right? And so they lashed out at the man Jesus healed because he was lecturing them and defending Jesus. They hurled insults at the blind man. And look at what they said again in verse 34. Let's look at this a little more carefully. Um, Verse 34 says, this is what they said to the blind man, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? Notice the contempt. How dare you? You're the one who's wrong. Lecture us because we're the ones who write. You're the one who's born completely in sin, and we're rather holy. So how dare you lecture us? That is shame's fight response of showing contempt. Now the flight response, remember fight or flight? The flight response of shame is hiding. Instead of lashing out, we can hide because of, of shame. And think of Adam and Eve. When in their shame, they hid from God. And if you have a hidden idol that you use to prop yourself up, you may hide when that idol fails you. Now, I encourage you to become aware of when you are attempted to lash out. 
or to hide. And maybe hiding, I don't know if one is a little more common of a response to shame than others. Um, maybe on our, in part of our personality. I know my temptation is to hide when I feel shamed. Um, for me, I've gotten to where I, I notice pretty well when I'm wanting to hide. And I can just feel it. I used to not be able to notice when I was hiding. I've gotten to where I, I'm pretty good at at least noticing when I'm tempted to hide. Um, and for me, let me tell you, it usually happens when I'm feeling like I'm doing something poor, either in my recreation or my, my vocation, my career. Um, when I'm doing sports and I start doing a bad job, and I'm like, all right, I quit. You know, that's, that's what I do. I'm like, I'm out of here. Um, isn't that mature? That's, that's real mature, right? Um, <laughs> uh, and, and when I feel like I'm just not doing a good job as a pastor, um, whatever that looks like. It could be, you know, in pastoral ministry. It could be when I'm with colleagues and I'm like, man, these guys are really smart and I'm not. Um, and I, feel, I can just, it's, it's hard to explain what it exactly, I mean, it feels like things are just squeezing in on me. And I feel myself withdrawing just a little bit, well, not sometimes just a little bit, sometimes a lot. Um, so I encourage you to at least get to the point where you, you can feel yourself pulling away and checking out. And listen to that. Listen to that. Um, because that's an indicator to you. I have an idol when you're withdrawing. And my idol is performance. So let's talk about how to be healed from shame. I want to read the end of the story. Uh, Look at what happens at the end. This is uh, starting in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I might believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Um, I'm going to go through this uh, one verse at a time. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when... Jesus found him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Uh, feeling shame always coincides with the experience of loss. And the man born blind could have been shamed because of the loss of his eyesight. You know, I'm, I'm just useless. He also could have felt the sense of loss by being thrown out of the temple um, by the Pharisees. This loss of connection, this loss of status. A husband who is shamed because of an affair experiences loss. His relationship with his wife is either destroyed or is crippled. There's a loss of intimacy, a loss of trust. You see that shame always comes with some sense of loss. Maybe I'm embarrassed and it's just my, you know, my reputation. I feel like, oh, it's kind of lost. You know, people look at me and they're like, ah, remember that happened to him? Um, there's always some loss when we feel shame. So the first thing to do to be healed from shame, let sorrow over loss grow your appetite for redemption. 
when you feel shame, identify the loss that is accompanying the shame. The shame may be illegitimate that you're feeling, but the loss could be very legitimate. Uh, I remember uh, preaching a sermon long time ago, and I made a big blunder. It was uh, the, uh, the day of a Texans game back, back when they were halfway decent, you know. Um, and we were starting a, uh, a series of classes on Sunday afternoons, and I was encouraging people if they really feel like they needed to grow in their walk with the Lord that they should attend the classes. And I said something like this. Maybe even that means that you don't go or watch the, the Texans game and, and come to the class. Uh, the next day, two days after that, God, I can't remember. I think it was an email um, from a family that was very upset because they said, man, you just, you just totally used guilt in your sermon. And they left the church. Um, and I just felt really, really, really bad. And I felt kind of shame. Legitimate shame? Illegitimate shame? Maybe illegitimate, but the loss was real. I mean, losing the relationship with the family. That's something to, just to feel sorrow over. And it's okay when we're feeling shame just to say, okay, maybe the shame is illegitimate, illegitimate, but why am I feeling it? What loss have I experienced? And acknowledge that loss because that loss is real. And let that loss grow your appetite for redemption. Know where you can turn to have that loss filled and restored. Verse uh, 36, next verse, um, the man asked Jesus, Who is he, sir? I, I don't know who the Son of Man is. Who is he? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. And isn't that interesting? He wants to believe. I mean, he could have just answered Jesus, Hey, I don't know who the Son of Man is. Yeah. He's like, Oh, please tell me, because I don't know who he is, but I definitely want to believe in him. Point me in the right direction, because I need him. I want to believe. So the next thing to do to get healed from shame, let the promise of redemption fuel your hope. Hope that there is healing. Hope that there is restoration, that you can receive it. This man already had his eyesight restored. He could have just told Jesus, you know, I'm good. I'm fine. I can see now. That's fine. I'm going to go on my own way now. But he realizes if I have the Son of Man, whoever that is, Jesus. If I have him in my life, I have everything that I need. Psalm 25, verse 3 says, No one who hopes in you, Lord, will ever be put to shame. Jesus is the only one who can restore our losses. And when we put our hope in Jesus, we will never be put to shame. Jesus will not fail us. And let's look at verse 38. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So finally, to be healed from shame, let confident hope lead to worship. See, worship puts our attention on someone else, doesn't it? And if shame is kind of this inordinate amount of focus on myself, how can I lose focus of myself? I can have my attention drawn to someone else and worship and worship. So if shame, um, if shame always is an outcome, oh, yeah, I just said that. So I don't need to say it again. Um, how do you get drawn into worship? 
Well, in the story, Jesus came back for the man. Notice that. He heard he had been thrown out, and so he found the man. And when you are feeling shame, you let your eyes be drawn to Jesus. Do you know that Jesus took on shame himself so that we could be healed of our shame? Do you know that Jesus realized he was born into a shameful family? His mother, Mary, likely was accused by the village of Nazareth where he was born of being unfaithful to Joseph. You realize that? Do you realize that he grew up in this disrespected community? Remember uh, that taunt about his hometown, Nazareth? Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Jesus was born into shame. He grew up in shame. Do you know that his family thought that Jesus was crazy? His own brothers thought he was crazy? And he died a shameful death. Why did Jesus take all this shame upon himself? Hebrews 12, verse 2 says this. Fixing, fix our eyes upon Jesus. Have your gaze drawn to Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and scorned its shame. Jesus looked down on shame. He belittled shame. He considered it nothing so that he could receive this prize, this joy set before him. What is that joy? See, he already had God the Father. He already had heaven. What was the joy set before Jesus? It was you. It was you. Jesus takes on all of this shame so that you could know how much he is delighted in you. Jesus took on your shame so that you could give up your shame. So use shame whenever you feel it to draw your gaze up to Jesus who believes that you are worthy of his blood. Before we pray, I want you to just listen to shame right now. Think about a loss that you're experiencing. Um, and that may be accompanied with some, some shameful experience or some shame that you're experiencing. Maybe the loss of a, of a relationship, um, the loss of, of, of a job, um, Whatever that loss is, the loss of maybe feeling like your, your good name has been taken from you. Um, think about your loss. Think about shame that is connected with that. And we're going to bring that to the Lord right now in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, you died on the cross because you know that you are gaining something through that. You are gaining this joy, and that joy is our lives, our very selves. These these humble human beings that stumble and fall and need your grace. You give us your grace. It pleases you. It delights you to give us your grace. And that shows you just how much you love us. In the light of your love, we want to bring to you our shame right now and release it to you. Help us listen to that shame and what, is it, what does it reveal about um, maybe our actions? What does it real about, reveal about some loss that we've experienced? And help us to lift that shame to you now and receive your love and your grace and your mercy and your healing. 
our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you give us hope for healing, hope for a new inner life, new joy, new confidence in you and your plans for us, new peace. Lord, help us to receive all that you have to give to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.